Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The nail in the coffin! All right, welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, part of the world-famous Evergreen Podcast Network. Trav, have you requested a trade lately? Um, yeah, I want um, out of COVID world, mask world, and I want to go back to not um, leaving the house ever. All right, I was, I was going to say, do we have to uh, ship you off the nail here for uh, future considerations and a co-host to be named later? But no. Yeah, I Good. think you could probably get a late fifth for me. <laughs> Value pick. I'll take it. You're out of here. Yeah. So anyway, um, Baker Mayfield has uh, apparently requested a trade. Uh, you may have heard the uh, probably not too surprising latest development in what has been a very newsy week for the Browns. What do you make of all this stuff? Because uh, it's been quite the roller coaster. Got a hardcore, you can't fire me. I quit vibes. I'll put it that way. Like, I saw, obviously it was a, Brown's Twitter, I feel like is, is it's the, it's one of the few things that I do think is kind of indicative of the overall population. So like, I think Brown's Twitter is a pretty good barometer of Brown's fans as a whole. I don't think it, that applies to many other areas of society, but um, there's very diametric like opposite ends of the fan base. There's the people who love Baker and hashtag ride with six and the Baker bros. Yeah. The Baker bros as they're frequently referred to. Um, And then there's the, I'll say that I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not in that group, but then there's the folks who are more just don't think Baker's good enough. There's very few in the middle. Um, but there was obviously a lot of talk at the end of the season about what they do with Baker because it's very rare to go into a you know first overall draft pick quarterback going to his fifth season without any sort of certainty about his future beyond that. So it seemed kind of obvious, I think, to most people that the Browns were not particularly committed to Baker. So all of this fuss about them pursuing Deshaun Watson, who regardless of what you think of his allegations, is an immensely better quarterback than Baker. Um, should not have been all that surprising, but apparently it pushed Baker over the edge, and now he wants to – now he's demanding out because they wanted someone else. It's really – it's I don't know. It's really weird, and I honestly feel like it's being a little blown out of proportion, but um, I don't know. Personally, I'm a kind of a believer that – Andrew Barry probably had a plan and they know who Baker is as a person. Um, so I think they probably anticipated that this might've been a result anyways. I don't think they went in it um, fully expecting that he'd be like an ideal citizen afterwards. So no, I, I said this pursuit of another option at quarterback was a burn the boats type endeavor. That's it, the, uh, I think it's VASJ has that as like the motto on their shirts or, or they did back in the day with the, uh, you know, you come on shore to attack, you're burning the boats, there's no turning back. And that's kind of what this was. Because, I mean, Baker, you know, has certain personality traits that have endeared himself, that, that have endeared him to, a, you know, a portion of the fan base. Um. I ultimately think some of those characteristics probably led to their undoing. I Maybe they didn't know who all, you know, maybe the Browns front office didn't know necessarily all of the options that were going to be out there, but I think they were comfortable with pursuing other options at quarterback. And if it 
alienated Baker Mayfield. They didn't really care. And the whole thing that came out, I think today, maybe it was yesterday. I don't know. These days are all boring together anymore. But from Chris Mortensen saying that the Browns want an adult in the room, like that's a really cutting remark. And, you know, that's something I think that's been kind of thrown around off the record. Hasn't really necessarily been reported. I think that's a phrase that's gotten discussed by, you know, some folks who cover the team. But I think that's the first time we've seen that phrasing actually attributed to the front office. And I think it was really indicative of their frustration with how he handles himself and and how he handles, you know, certain situations. Um, Yeah, I mean, we saw it. We've seen it a lot throughout his time here. And like you said, it's sort of been one of those things that like, a lot of fans like it's one of those things where you know oh yeah that's how i like that's how i think of mary Kay cabot or or tony grossi or whoever right like yeah you tell them baker it's like that's fine but eventually you gotta like grow up a little bit and i don't know that baker ever did um and i honestly think it's i think it's more than that i feel like the chip on the shoulder thing is great to an extent, but I also think it kind of led at times to him being inflexible and uncoachable and like not willing to adapt right? or do like what coaches are telling him. Like, cause there's things that we talked about when he first got drafted. We're like, okay, I have to improve his footwork. I have to improve his mechanics. And I, I don't, Four years in, I don't know that he ever did. Like, I don't know that he ever really spent the time trying to improve certain things. And it's like, I get that, like, when you were a walk-on, you were able to just get by on moxie and, like, you know, go out practice a guy or whatever. But that doesn't – it gets to a point where, like, these coaches, I I have to assume that the coaches are trying to work with him on things, and he just thinks his way works, so he keeps doing it. And I have no, like – inside knowledge like i don't know shit right that's just sort of the vibe i get Mm -hmm. but it doesn't surprise me that a guy like kevin stefanski and andrew barry who are very analytical and want you know things to be done a certain way and want a guy who like buys into the system might be like okay this guy's just never really going to get it um so it was was extremely telling to me when last year they won a playoff game and gave the chiefs everything they could handle in the division round. And he played really well down the stretch last season that from all reports, they never even talked numbers on an extension in the off season. And that was him at his best. So if he couldn't even get any sort of an offer, then you can't be entirely shocked that they appear very comfortable pursuing alternatives after the way the 21 21 season unfolded yeah Uh, definitely not and i mean he like there were there were obvious signs throughout the season the idea that like and correct me if i'm wrong i feel like i've heard so much stuff that's kind of conflicting with other stuff that i've i don't know i might have little details mixed up but like the the team coaches weren't going to clear him so he got like a second opinion it's is that accurate? Is that what you're understanding as well? Like, I, I don't remember. I do remember the uh, I decide when I play line. There was that, and the then wrong a, way. And then after the um, after the Steelers game where he played maybe the worst game I've ever seen out of an NFL quarterback, and I've been a Browns fan for 20 years, <laughs> so that's saying something. Like that was one of the most pathetic performances I've ever seen. And he says, you know, I'm gonna talk to my family and my my doctors and my team and my agent like, yeah yeah like wait yeah. you're not i'm not talk talking with team. the browns <laughs> right and jim donovan this week said you know that was a pretty bad look and we've heard you know we've heard things from like mary Kay Cabot and tony grossi and like those guys and those things people kind of take with a grain of salt because they always assume those guys have like a, a bone to pick or a you know an axe to grind turns out they were right like incredibly right all along but um i feel like when jim donovan says it it carries a little bit more weight like he's probably as well respected a voice as there is and like he doesn't 
He doesn't really break news. He's not really a reporter, right? Like, he doesn't do any of that. If he says it, it's because, A, he knows it to be fact, and, B, the team doesn't mind if he says it. Yeah, I mean, his role is a little different than any of the beat writers on the team. Yeah, because, yeah I mean, of course. He's, he's not yeah, he's not, anchor, yeah. and yeah, he's the play-by-play voice of the team. So, right. yeah, I mean, if that's coming from him, that's that, that should definitely open some eyes. Um, you know, all of this, though, it's just kind of sad. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you talked about the different segments of the fan base and the, the Baker bros, and then there's the other, you know, half that are, uh, you know, can't wait to tap dance on his grave here. Um, I don't know. I've kind of felt like I'm somewhere in the middle because, I mean, yeah. on the one hand, he is the best quarterback that they have had since they returned to the league in 1999, and I would say by a wide margin. But oh, that one year at DA was pretty damn good. Well, <laughs> but he's like an insane now. So well, yeah. But at the same time, I feel pretty confident in saying the Browns are never going to get where they want to go with him as their quarterback. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's frustrating and it's disappointing because I mean, he did some really electric things during his tenure here, you know, and I'll go to my grave saying that, you know, when those, you think about those last couple of years before he came in, you needed that cult of personality type player to pull the franchise out of the sinkhole that they were in. I don't think everybody was wired to, to have the personality to handle that. And, and he gave them a spark, you know, I'm always going to remember that Jets Thursday night game when he came in yeah, and, and pulled them out of it, yeah. you know, and, and then, Oh yeah, it was unbelievable. And you know, you, you, then you get like that crazy pass that he had against the Panthers later that season. It was like a 50 yard strike um, splitting two defenders at the goal line, I think to Landry. I mean, it was unbelievable. And some of those plays he made, um, and he, you know, he had a lot of other really good moments over the last few years, but you know, like I was saying earlier, when you have a guy with his personality, you know, it was probably, there was no other way this was ever going to end. Right. At yeah. Like two years ago was good. It was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Won a playoff game, then lost to the chiefs kind of feels like that's the absolute ceiling with him. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna get into social media fights with reporters and you're making videos about silencing the haters, and you know some of the other stuff that we've seen from him, you know, you can't expect anyone to feel sorry for you when things unravel for all the reasons that your detractors said that they were going to, and that's kind of like where things happen this year, you know. And I've I've had people tell me like, oh, you know, this year he was hurt. Yeah, well, why was he hurt? Because he was too stubborn you know, trying to run down the field and tackle somebody after he threw an interception, making the kind of play that anybody in their fourth year should definitely know you shouldn't be doing, you know, and it's just that stubbornness. It just, it, it bit him in the ass and, you know, I don't know. I'm really. And beyond that though, like it just feels like he was never, he was never going to buy into like doing it any other way than the way he wanted to do it. Like he, he does, he does things a a certain way. And I'm with you. Like, I feel like I was as big a, I'll say a Baker hater because I don't know what else to say, but like I was as big a Baker hater as there was when he got drafted and he won me over like the full disclosure. I was a, after like the first couple of years, I was all in. Like I'm like, okay, this is the kind of guy that we need, right? It kind of reminds me of like some head coaches, like Jim Harbaugh, for example, um, before Michigan. It's like that act was thin after a while. Like yeah. it's great at first, and it'll get guys on board, but eventually guys will see through it, and there's got to be more to it. And I don't know that he had that, and I think that's sort of what got exposed. And I think I said this to you during the season, too. You won't fully convince me that the Browns staff, be it Stefanski or Barry or whoever, wasn't completely fine giving Baker this rope to hang himself. Oh, yeah. I think I, like, I suggested that to you yeah. in November. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like I fully like this- think that they, they knew we don't think he's the guy. Right. 
let's let him prove it. Because let's be honest, if he pulled himself out, if he got hurt and sat out a bunch of games, we're not having this conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're not talking about replacing him if he had to miss a bunch of games this year. We're talking about running it back, and he's probably getting a big extension. So they oh, were I mean, there's, totally fun. There's so many different what ifs. Like, what if he did get an extension last summer and then goes and injures himself in the second week? He probably gets surgery and shuts it down for this year if they've got a long term right. investment in him. Right. You know, what if Anthony Schwartz doesn't give up on that pass in that game in week two? And, yeah. you know, that just ends up being, you know, either a completed pass or even just an incomplete pass and the game just goes on, you know, and he, Baker doesn't wreck his shoulder. Then what happens? Yeah, there's a lot of what ifs. I mean, it's it's weird, but this is where we are. So yep, you know, it's there's a lot to it. I honestly think like the whole all the drama behind it, and like there's a lot of people who are making this out to be like, oh, the Browns are completely incompetent. I don't think they are. I think they have a plan in place. I yeah. think, and a lot of the names that I've heard, they're not exciting names. No, like Mariota and Jimmy G, guys like that. But I'll be honest, they're kind of pretty much parallel moves. I don't know that they're any worse. I think if you can get a guy who, you know, physical tools is somewhere in the same vicinity and is not going to create, yeah, the they can run the system. Curricular headaches. Yeah. I I think that's a step up just yep, on that exactly. alone, and yeah, I think exactly. that's what the Browns are probably banking on. Um, and, and I think the way they've gone about this shows me that this was not Deshaun Watson or bust for them. I think right. they clearly saw him as being the best option for them from a, a talent perspective. Um, and, you know, that's the other thing to keep in mind. And I was kind of, you know, wrestling with it this week when the Browns were still in that Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, like, cause he clearly brings a whole other litany of issues off the field yeah. that are going to rub a lot of people the wrong way and justifiably. So, and you know, I you just, you, if you're, I'm trying to think about this from the Browns perspective and they're in a contention window. And if you're, um, you know, you're, you're only going to get so many shots with this before you probably have to take a step back for a couple years and reload, unless you're a team like the Patriots who just seem to be competitive every single year. Um, they're in one of these windows right now. So I, I, you know, they're going to pursue every Avenue possible to maximize the most important position on the field. And, you know, it's really uncomfortable and, and you can make a very good case in terms of like why Deshaun Watson should not be playing. But, you know, if the Browns, you know, if he's cleared by the league to play, the Browns are, you know, it, it, it becomes, well, why, if you're the owner, you're sitting there saying, well, like, why are we losing to a team? Because they're getting to, you know, they, they're mm-hmm. benefiting from that guy's services. If he's eligible yeah. to play, why isn't he doing it for us? Yeah. So, it's, I mean. I mean, we, we've seen it time and again, and it's, I don't know, say what you want about it. It's unfortunate, whatever, who cares? Um, ben Roethlisberger, no one said shit about his stuff when he was going on his victory tour in the season. It was yeah, all was pretty gross. sunshine and roses, like, for the last, like, five weeks. Um Big farewell party for Big Ben. No one gave a shit anymore. I mean, some people did, but no one was talking about it. It was a non-story at that point. Um, and that's what we always see. I mean, guys are celebrated for what they do on the field. Yeah. The stuff that happens off the field, everyone can look past it. Like Lawrence Taylor, all-time scumbag. No one cares. You know what I mean? Like... And so, yeah, you get to a point where it's like, well, yeah, maybe I wish he didn't do that stuff, but if, you know, if it helps my team, if it's, if he's not helping my team, he's going to help someone else's. So yeah, I look at it, it, it sucks and it's a little, it's, it's a little different, but it's, to me, it's like the, um, like whenever Notre Dame loses a big game or Michigan loses a big game, they love to talk about how, oh yeah, but our academics are so good. It's like, well, your football team's academics aren't that great. They get anybody they fucking want in there. And the only reason you're saying that is because you lost this game. Like, let's be honest. You don't actually give a shit about Notre Dame's academics. Um, You care about their football team. I've never seen you wear a Notre Dame debate team Um, (laughs) t-shirt. 
Hey, speak it, it's, for yourself. <laughs> it's and and I'll be honest, a big reason I would talk so much shit on Ben Roethlisberger about all of his stuff is because he routinely beat the shit out of my team. Like that's it. Um, and it made me feel a little bit better. But you know who felt better than me? Steelers fans whose team were winning. Right. And so it's 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 not great. It's obviously not. A, a, a wonderful like representation of what people prioritize, but let's be honest with ourselves. It's still sports. Like it doesn't need to be rational and logical. Um, and it's all the not. people like, oh, what am I supposed to tell my kids? It's like, well, be a fucking parent. Tell your kids. Like he's not that great a person. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Well, like, this is <clears throat> yeah. This is depressing me. And thankfully, we no longer have to worry about this moral conundrum as far as the Browns go, because Deshaun Watson will not be coming here. I will admit, I had even, I will say, 50-50 balance of relief and disappointment Yes, when it became, not I guess not technically official, but pretty clear that he wasn't coming to Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. So somebody, it would seem pretty clear at this point, somebody else is going to be coming into town. Where do you fall with regards to the remaining options who are out there right now? And what, what do you think the Browns are looking at? So it seems, I mean, with the news today that Devontae Adams is going to Las Vegas, I mean, Derek Carr was already a long shot. I think yeah. that's a complete non-starter. Agreed. Um, that division's fucking insane now. For the, like, Agreed for the on that as well. That Absolutely is... insane. Like someone showed the skill position players in that division. That's it's ridiculous. But um, I don't know who's who's Mariota is the name that gets bounced around a lot. Jimmy G is another name that gets bounced around a lot. Some people said Jameis, and I just feel like Jameis probably not the kind of guy that Stefanski would want. He's a little unpredictable. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? A little too like fly by the seat of his pants. I don't know that that's the kind of guy he wants to worry about. Um, Matt Ryan's the other one that's out there, especially if Deshaun Watson. I don't, I don't, I don't see Matt Ryan. He's getting paid so much money. Yeah. There would have to be some sort of, I, I'm, I mean, I could see, but I could see them. Maybe they could do like a, like a golf Stafford type deal where they say, you take this contract off our hands and we'll give you guys a pick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I could see that happening, which I wouldn't be opposed to. Mm. I don't know that it's, I mean, it's as good a gap. I mean, any guy we have is going to be a gap guy, right? Like, and that's sort of the thing that sucks is they're not going to be bad enough to get like the quarterback they want in a draft for quite some time. Right. And that's like, the other that, thing. That's, like, that's I was the, thinking the like, area they're in now. I mean, who knows who's going to be requesting a trade a year from now, but I mean, it. I don't even feel great like there's going to be, you know, an obvious path for them to uh, address quarterback next year either, right? Like, you're not getting a tippy-top guy in the draft unless you just load up on assets this year at, at, to, like, be able to offer somebody at the top of the draft, a you know, a godfather uh, trade yeah. proposal. Um so. Yeah, and the thing about that though is, if it's a guy that's like that, you have to hope. And this would have been the year to do it, which sucks because Jacksonville is drafting one, and they already have their quarterback, right? Right. But like ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the team drafting number one, it's drafting if, number one because if, they need a quarterback, right? If there's a great quarterback up there, unless it's the Colts and Peyton Manning got hurt for a year or whatever, you know, like right. That's all you can really hope for is a team that already has a quarterback loses him for a year and falls into that. Um, but it's, they're not going to be bad enough to be top three, four, five. Right. Right. Um, so but, it's weird. It puts them in a weird spot. You don't know what to do, but like, by the way, just to back to Matt Ryan for a minute, have we heard anything about him in terms of, like what his reaction has been to the. Did he write a letter to the, the city? The Falcons, yeah, because like thinking. You know, and I, I don't want to like belabor the point on Baker, but you know, yeah. Well, Baker's got every right in the world to be upset after what he's done for this team and blah blah blah. And now they're looking to replace him. Matt Ryan, for better or worse, has done a hell of a lot more for the Falcons than Baker Mayfield's done for the Browns. 
and I I have not. He's I a pro, though. Right, right. Yeah, I haven't seen him write a letter. I haven't, you know, heard him pitching a fit and demanding a trade and, and anything else. You know, I, I, I think back to, um, what is it, The Godfather 2, when uh, Michael goes in and sees Hyman Roth and, uh, you know, starts asking questions he shouldn't be asking. And Hyman Roth tells him, you know, this is the business we've chosen. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> that, somebody needs to tell Baker, this is the business you've chosen. Um, yeah. But, You're getting paid very handsomely. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, I don't know. No, I haven't heard anything about him. Um, I'll be honest; like any of the guys I've heard, um, Mariota, Matt Ryan, okay, throw him in, I guess. Jimmy G, I'm fine with any of those guys. I don't really care at this point. Like, I'm confident that whoever they get will be a, at least a lateral move. I'm wondering how long this is going to take to play out now because yeah. technically it could be, it could be kind I mean, of a slow burn at this point. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like it sounds like this Deshaun Watson thing, you know, as we record now, the last I read before we jumped on here was that he might still take another couple days to make his decision. Although I guess the Browns are done and um, the Panthers have been notified they're out. So it's down to the saints and the Falcons and you know, it might be another couple days till we hear anything. Um, I'm assuming that the Browns have got plan B, plan C, whatever. I don't, I'm curious to know if it's going to be contingent on what ends up happening with Deshaun Watson and wherever he goes. And if that's going to set off, you know, a a domino effect of other moves, or if that's going to, you know, open up a log jam with these remaining QBs that could be moving around, um, you know. Is this going to, you know, by the time we publish this on Friday, are the Browns going to be announcing a move with somebody else? I don't know. I'll be interested. I wouldn't think so. Probably I, not. I don't think I so. Don't but think I also so. don't think this is going to be like dragging out to the draft either. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of now, I don't want to say they're back to the drawing board, but I think now that the Watson stuff is done, they can start to put their efforts into deciding what the next thing should be. I'm sure they have plans in place and like yeah. guys that they might target. But it's going to come down to you know, putting a deal together to get whoever else is out there that they're that they're interested in, and also kind of figuring out what they can do with Baker, right? Like, is there mm-hmm. anyone else that wants him? Is there any sort of like what yeah, can they get I mean, for that, him now? That might be contingent. You know, whoever they're trading with to acquire a quarterback, you might be trading with a team that wants to bring in Baker for a year, or right. you might be trading with a team that wants nothing to do with him, and you need to unload him to a third team. Um, Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, I think <clears throat> it's probably them starting, you know, work the phones a little bit, figure out what their options are. Oh, I think are. they've been doing that already anyway. Yeah. So, but I, I think it's, I just, I just mean, I think it's something that could probably take a little bit to settle. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, like, you know, if we go into the weekend without any, like, details or anything, I don't think that means they don't know what they're doing. No. I just think it's something that might take a little bit to settle out because, I mean, that's kind of how it always is, right? All those teams that were going to go after Deshaun were going after Deshaun, and other teams were waiting to see what would happen with that so they could then react accordingly. Um, so that's what we'll see. We'll, we'll, it'll be it'll settle out probably within the next couple of weeks. I think it might take a while, though. Yeah. All right. Anything else on the Browns? Um. No, not really. I mean, it's weird. I was starting to think about what it would look like to not have a first-round pick for three years. <laughs> and that's a weird, weird feeling. Um, I mean, it took uh, a serious amount of adjusting to, like, not have a top-ten pick So yeah. Yeah. last year. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, the idea of not having, like, first-round mm-hmm. picks at all for multiple years, I mean – Hey, I mean, let's not get, we're not going to be the Rams here and just unload our entire draft inventory, but. Yeah. Um, it's weird. They, I mean, they created a bunch of space. They got a lot of, a bunch of money they can use. Who knows what they're going to do with it. I mean, the Amari Cooper thing, I don't know. I felt like it was a kind of an odd move for them, but. Um, it was necessary. Yeah. I don't know. wide it. receiver room. They, they needed an infusion of talent there. He's got, it's, it's a deal that like on the surface looks not, like it would be the Brown style, you know, 20 million a year for, for a wide receiver, but it's just for this year, really. Like if right. it doesn't work out or whatever, they can cut him and no, you know, there's no like dead money that's attached to him or anything. So it's kind of team friendly. It's a lot and of if, money, but it's, if you it's saw easy some to of get out of. 
deals that were signed in free agency yeah. after yeah. with other receivers. His, Christian Kirk got like eighteen million. Like, yeah, I was going to say for the production yeah. you're probably getting out of Amari Cooper. Um, in comparison, I don't think his deal looks bad at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, it sounded like a lot of money. I think at the time, but hopefully when we you have look a quarterback at, like, who can actually hit him if he's open this year. Yeah, that'd be nice. Oh boy, that'd be <laughs> something. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like what they've done so far. Um, I thought the Taven Bryant move was kind of nice, too. Like, he's a guy I remember back on the draft, so um, shore up the line a little bit. We'll see what they do. they still got some moves to make. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the bigger news is the big news, and who knows what it is. It's it's really no news yet. It's just a bunch of, you know, surface-level stuff. Nothing's actually been decided or done. Do you buy the whole – well, we're not going to accommodate a trade. No, that's no, that's creating leverage. So. I mean, I mean I, they can say that too, and it's like if the team calls them; they'll just be like, "Fuck you!" Well, you know, we'll hold on to him. Yeah, he's still no, got some they, value. They, they're 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 trying to rebuild leverage when they know they have none, and trying to you know, in terms of getting any. I don't sort know of that they have. Return. I don't know that they have none, but I think it is like. I think it's taken a hit this week. Yeah, a little, when oh, it sure, a little clear bit. that they're like trying to unload him. I think they want to build up his stock. I mean, it's the same reason why at the Combine, the Seattle general manager was emphatic about, you know, we're not even entertaining any offers for Russell Wilson. And then a week later, they dealt him to Denver. You know, yeah. It, it's just, they're, 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 they're negotiating through the media. And that's that happens with every team. But I do think they're in a place where if someone calls them and is just like hmm. offering them like a bullshit deal or if a team is just waiting for them to cut him, like things be like, oh, fuck it, we'll just hold on to them then. Like, yeah, you got to make it at least worth our time, right? Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're so that's that's all it is. It's just a leverage play. So you know, of it, all the guys that you think are feasible, who's like your who's your, who's your choice where you'd be like, okay, I like that. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping you were not going to ask me that. Um, no, I'm putting you on the spot. Sticking it to you. Sticking it. Sticking uh, it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was really hoping they were going to find some way to get Derek Carr, and um, that seems that, like it was a pipe that, dream. Yeah, yeah. So people were always finding like some sort of like, oh, maybe because McDaniel's like Baker around the draft four years ago. I'm like, right? Yeah, and then he watched him play last year. Like, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, I don't think this and is who he's you know, his and wagon. Then there were people like, oh man, Aaron Rodgers because they got rid of Devontae Adams. Now he's going to want out, and within five minutes, it came out that he. Pretty you know much about knew it. everything that was happening there. So, yeah, I'll know. be honest. Before that Devontae Adams news, I was kind of thinking, like, looking at that division, if the Raiders were smart, they just fucking cut bait. Be like, all right, we're going to rebuild. We'll see you guys in five years. Like, <laughs> that, that division's going to be a fucking buzzsaw. And, well, those teams have all got to play each other now. So, yeah, I mean, they're, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, Devontae, that's, that's a huge move. And suddenly it's like, Okay, maybe they did know what they were doing. Like, yeah, they can. And who else did they sign? They signed some. They signed some defensive player. I feel like, I feel like there's been so many moves. I can't remember who went where, but I feel like yeah. they've added some defensive stuff too. And uh, who was it that the Chargers signed? The Chargers oh, they got, got Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack. They got Khalil yeah. Mack. Like him and Joey Bosa on opposite ends. Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been seeing Jarvis might go to the Chiefs, which would be kind of. A nice addition for them. Yeah, that's that Packers might need crazy. him now. Yeah, no kidding. They might go after Odell as well. Um, right. But yeah, I feel like that division is just nuts. And if you look at Oakland before they got Devontae, and I'll be honest, even with Devontae, I still think they're probably a notch behind the other three. But I was thinking before they got Devontae, it's like even with Derek Carr, like. They're not going to compete anytime soon. They might as well just strip it down to the studs and start over. But they've they've made it more interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, let's take a break for a second. You still didn't answer the question. <laughs> I thought I was going to get for away. For the record, for the record, uh, you still didn't answer. I don't know. I don't know. I I I guess Jimmy G only because okay, okay. I'll put it this way: Are there any guys where that have been mentioned where you just be like, oh, fuck, I don't want that guy? No, I, I don't think okay. so. Um, I, I, the only reason I lean towards Jimmy G is he's got a postseason pedigree and actually has played in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, 
But, I mean, it's not like anything that he's done on the field is particularly exciting to me. So, yeah, I'm not... There's no nobody there that I'm, like, super excited by or super horrified by. Yeah, I feel that way. That's, yeah. that's sort of where I am. I don't know that any of them are... None of them are going to be a massive upgrade, but I don't know that any are, are a significant, like, a noticeable step back either. Agreed. I do think that some of the names, Jimmy G, Mariota, a little more, more reliable and consistent. Like, I think you'll know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis a little more than we have, mm-hmm. which would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if you're the Browns, you're kind of banking on one of those guys kind of having, like, a second act like a Ryan Tannehill did with yeah. Tennessee. Tannehill's got a little more in the, like, measurables department. Like, Tannehill's got a really strong arm. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a big guy. He's pretty mobile. Like, he's a little a little more like prototypical quarterback than those guys. But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. You hope that you can strike something and, you know, get him into the system and, and get the most out of him like they have. Cause yeah, that, I mean, Tannehill was pretty much, you know, he was written off right? and he's had a nice little resurgence for himself. So yeah, if you can find something like that, gotta love that. Yeah. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) All right. So it's not just quarterbacks who are on the move around the NFL. Have you been paying attention to the broadcaster carousel that's been uh, turning for the last uh, six weeks or so? I have, but I guarantee I have not been paying as close attention to you, and you will tell me at least two or three moves that I did not know happened. So lay it on me. <laughs> All right, well, you, you humored me the last time we were on here and let me uh, nerd out over the wrestling stuff. So, um, yeah, this is my other uh, – area that I, I like overanalyzing and, and following probably way too closely. But yeah, the broadcaster thing, I mean, it's it's been fascinating to me because being the number one announcer for a network who has an NFL contract is one of the most prestigious jobs in all of U.S. sports broadcasting. And those are extremely hard to get. Those crews are steady. And um, there's not a lot of turnover. And this year, we're going to end up having three out of the four networks coming back with new crews. Um, CBS is the only one running it back with their A-team from last year with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Um, NBC, Fox, and ESPN, all are going to have different number one broadcasting teams. And we get Amazon in the mix as well because... Um, I don't know how much people who don't follow this stuff as closely have been paying attention to this, but Thursday Night Football is not going to be on NFL Network or on Fox this coming season. It's going to be only on Amazon Prime. And, I mean, so, like, your local game, like, if the Browns are playing, a local affiliate will pick up that one game, so we'll be able to watch the Browns even if you don't have Amazon Prime. But like those other... Those, right, but, you know, those other Thursday night games, you're not going to be able to turn on Fox and watch them. So Amazon, um, they had to go out and create their own crew. Anyway, this whole thing, there, there, there have been a few different events that have kind of triggered this avalanche of moves that have all hit this offseason. So um, Al Michaels kind of made some references to it on when he was doing the Super Bowl on NBC that his contract was up and Tarico, Mike Tarico, who had been on Monday Night Football for 10 years, got signed by NBC to be like the successor to Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football years ago. 
they're like, all right, when Al Michaels' contract's up, he's going to be like 77, 78 years old. He's probably going to be slipping by then or ready to retire. Um, so, Mike, just hang on. We're going to give you these Thursday night games that we got, and then when Al's contract's up, we're going to give you Sunday night. Well, two things messed up or messed that plan up. Number one, the NFL said, because this is the point when the NFL was trying to make Thursday night football like a big network thing. They're like, no, if we're giving you these games, you're giving us Al Michaels because we want the best crew you have, which is ridiculous because Mike Tirico has done Monday night football. So like the idea that he's like not good enough for Thursday is stupid, but set that aside. Number two, Al Michaels gets to like the end of his contract this year and is like, Hey, I'm still good at this. I'm still at the top of my game. I don't really feel like giving it up. So like NBC's in no man's land. They're they're like, all right, hey, we told Tariko this is happening, so we're gonna stick with it. Al Michaels is left twisting in the wind. Now I think it's not been made official yet, but it sounds like he's gonna go do those games on Amazon. So that takes care of that piece of the puzzle. Meanwhile, ESPN, ever since Tariko left has been a disaster with every different combination of broadcasters they've tried. The play-by-play guys, none of them have worked out. They're color commentators. I mean, who have we gone through? Booger, uh, Jason Witten. Um, who else have they? Or like they got uh, Greasy and Riddick this, these past couple years. None of them have gone out well. And ESPN, in these coming years here, I think in 2026 and 2030, they're going to actually be calling Super Bowls. So they're like, hey, we need like a real – a team. So they were able to get Troy Aikman to come over from Fox. And then this week ESPN also announced they're stealing Joe Buck from Fox. So Fox has no number one crew at all right now. There's a whole bunch of options that they could go with. And the guys that they've had forever are going to ESPN now. So um, that's kind of interesting. And, And why Aikman was so eager to jump, I think was like the most interesting part of, all this was Tony Romo coming into CBS. You know, we talked about it when he first came in, like that first year and what a revelation he was with, you know, calling plays before they happen. And, you know, he rejuvenated Jim Nance and he, you know, all the excitement he brought to the booth. Well, they gave him that obscene amount of money. I think on his second contract, like $18 million a year. Yeah. Like a million a game, I think. Right. And Troy Aikman sitting back saying like, Hey, wait a minute. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm the Cowboys quarterback who actually won something in the playoffs. I won three Super Bowls. Why the hell is this guy getting money? So he also, got, Romo Stick got old to, I think, pretty much everybody, and he was mailing it in last yes. year. Yeah, yeah, he definitely slipped a little bit this past year. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. That happened, and then Buck, or, uh, Aikman, I feel like, started getting a little bit more um, uh, loose uh, and off the cuff and being willing to be a lot more critical uh, of players and, and um, a lot more colorful. And I think he kind of just kind of reached that point where he's like, yeah, you know what? Screw this. I'm, I'm just going to let it rip. And I want to get paid. And Fox was like, we don't think it's worth that. So go find yourself another deal. And, ESPN's like, hey, we really need a an, an A team here. So they were super happy to overpay. And they were part of the reason that Romo got paid so much by CBS because they tried to steal him first and then weren't successful. And then once Aikman left, Joe Buck's like, hey, I don't want to get stuck here. Um, I, I want to still do games with Troy Aikman. So, um, yeah, I think you and I were talking about before we started recording that they actually worked out a deal because Buck had a, a year left on his contract with Fox that um, ESPN had to like give them rights to extra college football games uh, in order to get them to release Buck out of his contract early. So all sorts of negotiations and stuff going on. It's crazy to me the money, <clears throat> excuse me, the money these guys are getting now to, to just broadcast. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, unfortunately, I think it the result was. Ohio State, Notre Dame is going to be a fucking big noon kickoff, which yeah. sucks. Um, and I think the at Penn State game is now going to be in primetime and a whiteout, likely. So it's like, from an Ohio State fan standpoint, it's the the home field advantage for those two games will not favor the Buckeyes. Um, 
how yeah. much that matters, who knows. But it's like it's still weird that they're trading games for broadcasters. Like that's Well, do you kind remember of, that's what a, happened when Al Michaels went from ABC to NBC? Of course I don't remember. That's why you're here. <laughs> well, they had a deal and they traded ABC traded Al Michaels to NBC for the rights to the cartoon character Oswald the Rabbit. This, is, this it is because re- they just wanted to own it for a long time, right? Because like they it, lost it years ago and they yes. wanted it back. I yeah. do remember this story actually. Yeah, yeah. So Al Michaels loves joking about that. He got traded for Oswald the Rabbit. So yeah, this is not unprecedented. Although actual games being traded uh, as a as a negotiating ploy was, uh, yeah, that might be a little different. But yeah, that's the other thing that's been crazy to me about this is besides the uh, the ramifications for all the NFL broadcasts that we watch and all the big games, um, there's a real uh, trickle-down effect to other sports. I mean, Joe Buck has called every World Series since 98, I want to say. And I think he's done all but like two of them since 96. So, I mean, that's going to be, you know, they're going to have somebody else doing it this year. Um, that's going to be weird. Uh, you know, some college broadcasts are going to be getting shaken up, I think. Um, well, you know, we had mentioned before, uh, Herb Street's going to be doing the Amazon games with Al Michaels, it sounds like, and but he's still going to do college. So, you know, that that's going to be a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I And it's like, you kind of wonder, like, is it worth spending that kind of money on announcers? I mean, people are going to watch these games no matter what. Um, and you think of how many people are, like, what percentage of people do you think are actually paying attention to the announcers? Like, you do, and right. I do to an extent. I don't to the extent that you do, but, like, I listen to them and stuff. But I also watch, you know, maybe not over the last couple of years, but I watch a fair amount of games at a bar where I can't really hear you it. You can't even hear the announcers, like, yeah. Is it, there's, and there's a lot of people that watch it that way. And if we're being honest with ourselves... You might bitch about it. You might complain about it. You might think the person calling the game sucks. You're still going to watch that game. Right. Like, my guess. don't move the needle that much, in my opinion. Yeah, they well. Move it at all. Yeah, I was going to say, my guess is networks have done the math on this, and they've decided that every, even though everybody says they're going to watch a game regardless, when you have that big brand name announcer, it lends a certain gravitas to a game and kind of tells you it's a big deal. Like, you know, that was kind of one of the signs in the 2020 season that like, Hey, the Browns are on the map. It's because like, wait a minute, we actually have Jim Nance calling our games for CBS instead of uh Spiro Ditas or whoever else is, yeah. you know, at, at the bottom of the depth chart. It's like, Hey, they're a big deal now. Um, yeah, you know, maybe, I mean, to an extent, but it can't be is that it much. Worth, is it worth that much? Right. It can't yeah, be that know. much. And I mean, think about like the only person who I can remember like recently like moving the needle is Romo when he first came in. And people yeah. like for, like thought it was fantastic and they loved like his style. He was different. He was calling all the plays out and everything before they happened. And everyone thought that was cool. That got old. I feel like people were like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, a play's coming. How about like, let me see the play before you tell me it's coming. And like I said, he like last year, maybe the worst announcer I heard all season. Oh, I wouldn't go. That was when he called the Browns Bengals game was completely incoherent, had no (laughs) idea what was going on. I think I heard him call out the wrong guy's name, like five or six times in the first quarter. It was just embarrassing. Was this the game at Cincinnati? Yeah, think so. Yeah, yeah. It the, took like thirty seconds to say "Battle of Ohio." And he still couldn't get it out. It was just like it was very obvious he had done none of his homework. All right, I, um, this was one of those games that, to your point about watching it in places where you can't even hear the announcers. I think I was I was at a party where there was uh, enough noise that I didn't. Yeah, I didn't notice it. But, but if you yeah. heard, like, if you heard him, like, <clears> you're just like, did you even, did you even like look at the rosters? Did you do any of the the basics? And it seemed like he probably showed up wherever he was, played golf four times, and then showed up for the game on Sunday. 
like it got, it got paid it a million bad. dollars for the weekend. Exactly, like not <laughs> not bad work if you can get it right. But like that's the thing as I watch this game anyways, and the big games like Sunday Night Football. How many people do you think would legitimately not watch Sunday Night Football if they didn't like the announcer? Yeah, none. And maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is like the prestige, right? That the the perception that it's a big game because so and so is calling it gets some of those casual people to watch, but I feel like if anyone is immune to that sort of like fluff, it's the NFL. Then it's I think it's also I think Amazon getting involved because that company has more money than it knows what to do with and they wanted to make their they wanted to legitimize their operation right out of the gate yeah i get it for them i get it for that and i I think that also impacted what everybody else did because i think the early rumors was that was where troy aikman was going to go and it wasn't until you know kind of late in the game that espn swooped in and made him a a big enough offer but you know if if amazon's not offering him outrageous money to come do games for them you know maybe the offer from espn isn't as big who knows so I think when you the more bidders you get, you're gonna start a bidding war. So I, I have a feeling that probably was a big factor as well. <clears throat> but yeah, and maybe that is maybe that is part of it is that there's other like services entering that space now, so they can they can pony up the cash and it pushes it up everywhere else. But I, I have to me I don't know I I can't imagine that they're actually getting the return on that. But yeah, they make so much fucking money, maybe they don't care. I, I will say I, I have Amazon Prime, so you know I'll be able to watch those games. I'm really interested to see what an Amazon broadcast looks like because you know the streaming services have dipped their toe in the water with these games, but they normally in the last couple of years or they'll do like a random game here or there. But in all of those cases, it's just been like you know they farmed out the production to another yeah. network that actually has a contract with the NFL. Um, and this is really, I mean, they're bringing in, you know, they're, they're building a team here that's specific for Amazon. They, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, kind of building this from scratch. So, and this is the first time you're getting like a whole new network covering uh, the league since really, since Fox came in back in the early nineties. So, you know, and when Fox came in, you know, they really changed a lot. I mean, that was where the whole scoreboard on the screen came from no networks were had a constant scoreboard on the screen until Fox started doing that with football when they got the NFL and now you can't watch a sports broadcast without it so um, you know not all of their innovations stuck I mean the uh, the glowing hockey puck on the NHL uh, died a flaming quick death um, <laughs> but uh, you know a lot of the things that they brought in and I you know Amazon with the, the uh, all the bells and whistles they have and the money they have uh, you know they could make make things interesting so i'm i'm i'll be interested to see what that uh what that looks like yeah i mean think about some of the stuff that we we watch now like like the yellow line for the first down right Can you imagine watching a game without that now yeah yeah and like you know you watch baseball i mean they got the strike zone superimposed on the screen and that was one of the I actually kind of find that annoying because i feel like it's misleading. see you know what like that was one of those things where when they first started doing that i hated it and now, if it's not on the screen, I'm like, "Where's the strike zone?" I'm used to it at this <clears> point, and I'd probably, I'd probably do the same thing, like wonder where it was. But also, like, it just then makes me angry at every missed call. Yeah, even if it's very close. And I'll be honest, I don't think that's, I don't think that square is perfect. I don't think that is the exact strike zone. No, because the ball can move based on where it is on the plate. <laughs> um. And guys are different heights, and that box always seems to be the same size. Right. Yeah. But so it's like, I feel like it's just there for something to like bitch about. Like, I don't need that level of detail. Um, but I'm with well, they, you that I'm they, so used to it that they, I take they it can't all be winners. What can I tell you? <laughs> but yeah, but it's one of those things that I'm used to, though, too. So, like, yeah. I would probably complain about it if it wasn't there, even though thinking about it, I probably shouldn't. And who knows? Maybe we'll uh, we'll get more Nickelodeon broadcasts with the slime end zone and stuff. Yeah, I tell you what, I don't. I'm not so down on that. I feel like it's kind of fun. Some people like shit on it. I don't really have a problem with it. It's fine. I I, yeah, it's, I don't I don't feel one way or another about it. I think it's it's, it's fine. It's cool yeah, off. I guess it's fine. 
<laughs> doesn't doesn't hurt me, so who cares? Yeah. Right. Right. So all right. Last thing I was gonna hit you with, uh I, I, I have to uh pay respects to Scott Hall. Uh Razor Ramon passed away oh, this yeah. week. That hurt. Uh, I'm that's not gonna a, lie. Rough. I, I don't I don't think I realized just how how high I had him on my personal uh, all-time favorites list and, until we lost him. Um, but he was he was one of the one of the best and um, had a really influential wrestling career. And fun trivia: his first ever WWE pay per view was uh, the Survivor Series at the Richfield Coliseum. Here, okay. in a, yeah, yeah, he was uh, in a uh, in a tag team uh, one of the main event matches with Ric Flair against uh uh the macho man and mr perfect so i don't think back in 1992 if you would have told me to take a guess which one of those four would last the longest would be rick flair but um somehow that's that's how it shook out uh so yeah there was that and then uh he also had the the uh, the big ladder match at wrestlemania with Shawn michaels Michaels. that was was an all-timer yeah, so if you're anybody's trying to get themselves revved up for WrestleMania this year, and uh, you've got Peacock, go dig up WrestleMania 10 and, and was, uh, watch the ladder match. That's still awesome. And part of what I will contend is arguably the biggest like storyline moment in wrestling history yep. when Hogan turned heel. He was the first guy that showed up yeah. in the NWO. He was the, yeah. he was the guy that came wandering in from the crowd. Yep, and jumped on the microphone, and you know. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Yeah, and yeah, and everything changed with the NWO after that. So yeah, right. I mean, it gave like him and um, Nash probably single handedly kind of started the Monday Night Wars. I think. Yep. Um, and then yeah, obviously the Hogan heel turn is. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm no wrestling historian, but I have to think that's like the biggest individual non match related thing. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Sure. I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, the other thing is like he owes those two guys, Hogan owes uh, Hall and Nash, a yeah. huge debt because uh-huh. they probably added another eight to ten years onto his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he was kind of running out of steam doing the the whole bit that he had yeah. been doing from the the last ten years. So, yep. getting to reinvent himself as this bad guy, yeah, that was a, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it worked because of those two. Like he right. couldn't have done it by himself. It would yeah. not have gone over that way. But yeah. so yeah, so yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's a guy. It's one of those guys. I, I don't know that he was appropriately appreciated in his time, but like looking back, uh, pretty big contributions. Definitely, definitely. So that uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my last thing. Anything else for you? No, I think that's about it. Um, sitting here watching Kansas versus Texas Southern. Um, Ohio State's got Loyola tomorrow, so that's right. And uh, oh, I see uh, Akron is actually leading UCLA right now, so I think I'm going to have to go flip go. over to TBS nice. and see if uh, nice. Maxion can can hold late up. night Maxion. Yeah, love it. All right, let's uh, let's call it a night here and go watch Sounds these uh, these late games. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast listening platforms. And uh, we are on waitingfornextyear.com. And we are, of course, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. That's going to do it for us for this week. Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin. And we'll catch you again soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minterdial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. 
The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!